what I love about BBS and some of the big events that we put on here is it reminds me of, of how good the church is when everyone comes together, when people serve together, when everyone does a little bit of their part. I mean, when the church is firing on all cylinders, there's nothing like the church. And that's what we got a chance to see this last week. And ought to be like, it ought to be like that all the time, don't you think? Ought to, all the time. Well, hey, this summer we've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in a series called Live Like This. And today I want to begin by wrapping up chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, because we didn't get a chance last week to, conf- to finish it off completely. There's just a, there are four verses there that we didn't get a chance to cover, so we're going to cover that this morning. And then we're going to get into chapter 6. We'll get into about four verses there in chapter 6. So I hope you brought your Bible. You also received, hopefully you received a Baywatch. That's our program. When you walked in and inside, you can follow along. We've got some notes and some fill-ins if you're into that kind of thing. And of course, you can follow on our app. And I want to begin today by sharing uh, some really fascinating information with you. I'm, I'm kind of into this kind of stuff, and, and I think it'll be of of interest to you, um, and I'm going to open up in our, t- our time in a word of prayer, and I, I just want you to know, I mean, I'm not just teaching this stuff randomly, I'm going somewhere with this, so, so hang on with me, but I think you'll really be fascinated by what uh, I have to open <clears throat> with this morning, all right? So let me pray first, and then we'll, we'll get started. Well, Father, thank you so much, um, not only for the opportunity to gather this morning, as a church, but to experience church all throughout this week has been such a, a wonderful uh, blessing for, for all those who are here, who all those who are part of it. And God, we, you know, for all the little ones who were able to come and, and experience um, VBS, God, they, they are the future of the church. And, in, and as we've said here before, I mean, it's not okay for one of them not to know you. It's not okay for one of them uh, to, to not go to heaven. And so, God, what we did here this last week has, we pray, will have eternal consequences that every one of these children, we pray, will, will, will go on to follow you with all their hearts, become fully devoted to you in every way. And Father, thank you for the church. Thank you for all of our volunteers, all of our servants, all of our helpers. I mean, there's just so many of them to name. And, and again, I, I love what the church is all about when everyone does their share. And I pray that, that you would help us as a church to continue along that vein, that we would continue to be the church that you want us to be. This morning as we gather, as we open up your word, I pray that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would stir in us and speak to us so that we could again be the people you want us to be. So thank you, Father, for this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so all of you familiar with this image, right? Take a look at this. All of you familiar with this image, you prefer the 20 or 50 or $100 bill. Instead, we'll take the one, right? And on the back of the dollar bill, all right, on the back of the dollar bill, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, is the great seal of the United States. The great seal of the United States. The front of the seal would be a little circle on the right. That would be the bald eagle. That's the great seal of the United States. The bald eagle and in its talons and its left talons would be 13 arrows representing 13 colonies. Hose an olive, an olive branch in the right talon with 13 leaves. And above its head um, is, are, are 13 stars. And, and there's quite a lot of detail in here. On the reverse side of the great seal of the United States is that, is that circle on the left. And it's kind of that... that Pyramid. It's that unfinished, it's a 13-layered unfinished pyramid. Here's a close-up of the pyramid, all right? And, and above it uh, 
is the Latin phrase, anuit coeptis, which means favors are undertakings. And then below it, there's another Latin phrase, novus ordo seclorum, which means new order of the ages. And then at the base of the pyramid are some Roman numerals. Actually, it reads 1776, which was the year of the declar- that the Declaration of Independence was ratified. Michael, you know all this because you're a teacher, right? You, you should know all this stuff. Okay, I, I've always wondered what this is, all right? And at the very top of the pyramid is the Eye of Providence. That's what it's referred to. It's the Eye of the Providence, which represents the all-seeing eye of God. Now, the image, this image became a part of the Great Seal of the United States back in 1782. All right, 1782, and it has been on the back of the dollar bill since 1935. The Eye of the Providence can be traced back to the Eye of Horus, who was the Egyptian sky god. The Egyptian sky god, Horus was depicted as a falcon, as you can see in this image here. Horus is the, you can see the falcon on the left, and then there's the eye in the center of the image. It goes back, it dates back to this. The eye of the providence dates back to the eye of Horus. Centuries later, uh, after Horus, in medieval times, stonemasons, stonemasons in Scotland and then in England, wanted a place to gather where they could discuss their craft and share their secrets about stone making or their work with stone and they came to be known as the masons well when the british started making their way over to america across the atlantic and coming to america the masons came with him and they established when they arrived they established their very first lodge in boston massachusetts in 1733 and benjamin franklin one of, was one of their founding members once they arrived in America, in the new land, uh, the Masons went by the name Freemasons, Freemasons. And almost immediately, Freemasonry gained traction in the 13 colonies. And George Washington, as you can see here, became a member of the Freemasons, as did Paul Revere, President James Monroe, and John Hancock, which is a name you're all familiar with. All right, so over time... Freemasonry became much more than just a gathering place for stone workers to discuss their secrets about their work with stone. By their own definition, Freemasonry was, quote, a peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. That's kind of their own definition of who they are. Peculiar system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. And over time, it also became a fraternal organization that that valued moral uprightness and charity and friendship and secrecy and symbols. And by the way, I'm sure you've probably heard of Scottish Rite. Scottish Rite is is one of the groups in Freemasonry. And you've probably heard of the Shriners. And the Shriners are a spinoff of Freemasonry. Well, one of the symbols of Freemasonry is the Eye of Providence. That is their symbol, and it's on our dollar bill. It has been used by the Freemasons since 1782. And they put it on everything because that's kind of one of their symbols. It's, it's on this emblem here. And you can see the emblem. There's a triangle in the middle, and right in the middle of the triangle is the Eye of Providence. Again, one of their symbols. Given the fact that so many members of, of founding fathers uh, were members of Freemasonry, it is not a surprise that the seen eye of God ended up on the Great Seal. It's really not that surprising. 
Now, you may think that's good to have the seeing eye of God um, on our dollar bill, but let me put that into perspective. And as I said, I'm going someplace with this, so just hang on with me. Freemasons have always claimed that they are neither political nor religious. They're not religious, they say. Yet one of the requirements for becoming a Freemason is that you must believe in a supreme being. The problem is their supreme being could be anybody, your supreme being could be anybody you want it to be as a Freemason. In 1871, this man, Albert Pike, held the rank of sovereign grand commander in Freemasonry, which is the highest rank that you can achieve. He published the definitive guide to Freemasonry. It was called a book called Morals and Dogma of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, or Morals and Dogma for short. He published this book uh, in, 17, or in 1871. It was basically an 861-page compendium of Freemasonry, philosophy, secrets, rituals, history, and theology. And by the way, I don't know if you can see it, but uh, in, the, in the picture in the front, on, the, on the very top left, you'll see in the middle of his sash the number 33. And I'll, I'll tell you what that is in just a second, but you'll see 33. Now, I want to read just a few excerpts from his book. Um, and, I'm, and again, this is to kind of give you some idea what they're, what they're talking about. On page 227, Pike wrote, To the Mason, God is our Father in heaven. He is our Father, and we are all brethren. Right, so that's a good start, right? That's, you, you want to hear him say that kind of stuff, all right? Regarding prayer, he wrote on page 6, So likewise we pray, will is a force, thought is a force, prayer is a force. Sounds very Star Wars-ish, right? Why should it not be the law of God that prayer, like faith and love, should have its effects? All right, and then on page 122, he wrote, Masons must be kind and affectionate to one another, frequenting the same temples, kneeling at the same altars. They should feel that respect and that kindness for each other, which their common relation and common approach to one God should inspire. And so, again, that's pretty good, right? We just need to love each other is what he was saying. And then in, on page 213, he wrote, Every Masonic lodge is a temple of religion, and its teachings are instruction in religion. All right, so he says they're religion, even though they deny that they're religion. All right, this is kind of odd. And by the way, there's a Masonic temple uh, right here in Torrance on Cabrillo. If you go down Cabrillo uh, to 223rd, it's right there on your left-hand side. Uh, and then there's this quote from page 321 in Morals and Dogma, and this is kind of where it gets interesting. He wrote, Lucifer, the light bearer, strange and mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness, Lucifer, the son of the morning. Is it he who bears the light with its splendor and intolerable blinds of feeble, sensual, or selfish souls? Doubt it not. Is it he who bears the light? Doubt it not. All right? So he seems to be saying here that Lucifer, the, the name for the devil here, is the light bearer. He is the light bearer. And then he wrote this on page 476. He wrote, Everything good in nature comes from Osiris, Order, harmony, and the favored temperatures of the season and celestial periods. Everything good in nature comes from Osiris. And then on page 477, the very next page over, he wrote, Osiris was the same God known as Bacchus, Dionysos, and Seraphis. All right? So he gives props. He gives props to the God of Osiris, who is the Egyptian God of the dead. The Egyptian God of the dead. Here's a bronze statue, an ancient bronze statue of Osiris. And then finally on page, pages 525 and 526, Pike wrote, wrote this. He said, it, in other words, Freemasons, 
It sees in Moses, the lawgiver of the Jews, in Confucius and Zoroaster, in Jesus of Nazareth and in the Arabian iconoclast, great teachers of morality and eminent reformers, if no more, and allows every brother of the order to assign to each such higher and divine character as his creed and truth require. And thus, masonry disbelieves no truth and teaches unbelief and no creed except so far as such creed may lower its lofty estimate of the deity. Masonry is a worship, but one in which all civilized men can unite for it does not undertake to explain or dogmatically to settle those great mysteries that are above the feeble comprehension of our human intellect. Okay, unquote right there. You can stop there. <clears throat> Thus, Freemasons believe in a supreme being, and that supreme being can be whoever or whatever you want it to be, including the devil. That's what they're teaching here, right? And in Freemasonry, there are 33 levels, 33 levels. <clears throat> the goal of a Mason is to reach the highest level, the 33rd uh, degree, and that was Albert Pike. He reached that level, and that's why he had the number 33 on his sash. And when you've reached that level, uh, then you've kind of arrived, you know, right? You've kind of arrived. Now, in order to become a Mason, you've got to start at level one. That would be the apprentice level. That's the first degree. You've got to start there. Now, you can't just show up at the, at the Mason uh, Masonic Lodge and say, I'm here to sign up. I want to become a Mason. Now, you have to actually be invited by someone who is a Mason to join the, the, the Masons. And then you show up as a candidate. They plan this out ahead of time. It's brought, the candidate is brought to the Masonic Lodge, which is also often called the Blue Lodge. And then before the candidate enters into the lodge, the candidate, he is blindfolded. It's always a man. He's blindfolded. And then a noose or a cable toe is hung around his neck. And then his left pant leg is rolled up uh, ab above his knee. And then his left breast is exposed, just like this photograph here. And then the candidate is, is escorted into the lodge, blindfolded, by the doorkeeper and taken to the inner sanctum, just right outside of the inner sanctum. At which time the inner guard places the point of a dagger to the candidate's left breast. And then the candidate is brought in and made to kneel at the altar, which looks like this. And before him, before, uh, and before another man, this candidate is made to kneel. He's made to kneel before a man known as the worshipful master of the lodge. And then the candidate bows before the worshipful master and says, quote, I am lost in darkness and I need the light of Freemasonry, unquote. And I couldn't find an actual photo because it's a secret proceeding, but I found this illustration of what that kind of looks like. And then the candidate places his thumb to his neck, to his throat, and swears to the following blood oath. He says this, quote, and I'll put it up here for you, binding myself <clears throat> under no less a penalty than that of having my throat cut, my tongue torn out by its roots and buried in rough sands of the sea at low watermark where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours, should I ever knowingly or willingly violate this, my solemn oath and obligation as an entered apprentice mason, so help me God, and keep steadfast in the due performance of the same. That's the oath. An extraordinary, I mean, it's an extraordinary proceeding to become a member, and it's an extraordinary oath to take. And then when the mason is ready to go up a notch to the second degree, he's required to take 
uh, or swear to a slightly different oath, and I found that oath, and I'll put it up here for you. And it goes like this, binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my left breast torn open, my heart plucked out, and given as prey to the wild beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, should I ever knowingly or willfully violate this, my solemn obligation of a fellow craft, that's the the title for the designation for the second degree was a fellow craft. So help me God and make me steadfast to keep and perform the same, unquote. Right? So extraordinary. I mean, it's just amazing that, that they would take these oaths uh, in, in, this, in these ceremonies. Well, finally, I want to tell you about one more. There are the Shriners. And I, I mentioned to you the Shriners are a spinoff of the Masons, an offshoot of the Masons. And you have to be a Mason in order to be a Shriner. And the Shriners organization was started in 1870 by a group of Masons who wanted to focus on, on fellowship and fun. You've probably heard of the Shrine Auditorium. They've held, they've held the Academy Awards there for many, many years. And then you've heard of the Shriners Hospital. And they do a lot of good. Uh, that's them. This would be the Shriners. And they wear the Fez, which is a very distinctive red hat. Here's some Shriners having fun, probably at some kind of a parade. And you've, you've probably seen them. But I don't know if you've ever taken a good look at their fez, their little hat. Or here's a close-up of, of one of their fezes. Take a look. Notice the sword and the crescent and the star. It's on every fez. And these are symbols of Islam. Sword can be found on the flag of Saudi Arabia. And of course, you're all familiar with the crescent and the star it's on the flags of many uh, Muslim countries, including Turkey. When you're ready to join the Shriners, here's the oath that you must swear to. And again, by the time you are ready to join the Shriners, you're already a Mason, right? So here's the oath that you must swear to to become a Shriner. I do hereby upon this Bible, they have their own Bible called the Hertel's Bible. I do hereby upon this Bible and on the mysterious legend of the Quran and its dedication to the Mohammedan faith, Promise and swear and vow that I will never reveal any secret part or portion whatsoever of the ceremonies. And now up this sacred book, and again, I just printed it as I found it. And now up this sacred book, by the sincerity of a Muslim's oath, I here register this irrevocable vow in willful violation whereof may I incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade, my feet flayed, and I be forced to walk the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea until the flaming sun shall strike me with livid plague. And may Allah, the God of Arab, Muslim, and Mohammedan, the God of our fathers, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Amen, amen, and amen. That's their oath to become a Shriner. And I'm not kidding you. This is stunning. This is the oath that you must swear to. Bottom line, and I don't know if you, didn't, if you knew this. I didn't know this until I studied this. Masonry is nothing more than a satanic false religion. That's what it is. It's a satanic false religion. And yet, many Christians over the years, many Christians have been duped into, and even pastors, I understand, have been duped into becoming Masons. And last night after last night's message, I couldn't believe the number of people who came up to me and told me that their fathers and their grandfathers were Masons. One person told me that he was, had reached the 33rd degree. Others told me that their, their fathers were Shriners. One lady came up to me last night and told me that her entire family has been involved in, has been involved in the Masonic Lodge here in Torrance. The women have, a, I think they're called something, some kind of a star. And then, what's it called? Eastern Star. 
our Eastern star. And, in the, and, in the, and there's, there's even a, an auxiliary for, for the young people, demolays and all, all kinds of things like that, right? So, so I couldn't believe the number of people who've been involved in this. And uh, as, as Christ followers who've been in the organization have learned of the deception, um, many have repented and have left the group, which is a good thing, right? Now, it's just truly astonishing to me that, that uh, a wannabe mason or a wannabe shriner is willing to swear to an oath in which they are willing to commit suicide, in which they are willing to slit their throats and have their tongues ripped out and have their chest cut open and their hearts yanked out and their eyeballs pierced and their feet flayed and that they be, which be struck by a plague. I mean, it's amazing, right? That brings us to the Sermon on the Mount, all right? All that to say, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37, which again, we didn't cover uh, in previous weeks. And in this last section, we're going to look at Jesus tackled the subject. He addressed the subject of swearing and of taking oaths, right? And, and, the, and the reason why he did so is because oath-taking was a big deal back then. It was a big deal. The Jews lived and died by oaths, just like the Masons. Oaths were important to them, and here's why. Because in their heart of hearts, they weren't honest. The Jews weren't honest. They didn't tell the truth. Jewish society was built on lies, much like our own society is. We are built on lies, if we all started telling the truth, we would all be in trouble. Like that episode in I Love Lucy many, many years ago. Have you ever saw that? You know, we just had this whole episode about we're going to all tell the truth, right? And, and Lucy started telling the truth about Ethel and Fred and Ricky, and they all got in trouble, right? <laughs> and so that's what the Jewish society was like. And again, our society is the same way. I'm not picking on the Jews. But therefore, therefore, in order to get people to tell the truth, in order to get the Jews to tell the truth, they would make them swear to an oath. All right? You, you say something, swear to an oath, so I know you're telling the truth. And then another reason why oaths were important was because for a Jew, uh, for, for a Jew to say an oath was proof that they were telling the truth. You know, I, I, I said, they say a certain thing, you know, I did this, and I, here's my oath, I swear. And that just proves that I'm telling the truth. You know, and you think about it, we do the same thing. I remember as a kid, when I wanted to prove to somebody that I was telling the truth, if, I, if, if my parents said, did you spill, the, did you do this? Did you hit the car? Did you break that window? I swear I did not break that window. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a what? A needle in my eye, right? And we would Give this, we would swear this oath, and you think about it. Cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my That's the dumbest thing that anyone could ever say. <laughs> I didn't want to die. I didn't hope to die, and I would never stick a needle in my eye. And yet, I, I said it to, as if to prove to whoever I was saying to that I was telling the truth. And to be honest with you, there are probably times when I said it, even though I wasn't telling the truth. Now, take a look at Matthew chapter 5, 33. And let's see what Jesus had to say about this. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not falsely swear, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. I'm going to stop right there. All right, so uh, you, you have heard it said. Now, that's a phrase that we have, we have read many times in Matthew chapter 5, right? So put some brackets around it. It's not the first time we've seen this phrase in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And this, this phrase, you have heard it said, was a reference to the teachings of ancient uh, Jewish rabbis. They would say certain things. They would say, in this case, they would say, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, what they said here, what they would say here, was generally true, although you can't find a direct quote that comes from the scripture where it says, you shall not fall, swear, uh, swear falsely, not, not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But, but the principles here are derived from scripture. Specifically, it comes through three verses. So the rabbis didn't get it wrong, necessarily, but Leviticus, and I listed them for you, Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, so profane the name of, of your God, I am the Lord. Numbers 32, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word, he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. In Deuteronomy 23.21, if you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will... Uh, be guilty of sin. So the rabbis took these three verses and kind of distilled it down, distilled it down to this saying, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Right now, in the Greek, the phrase you shall not swear falsely means to make a false vow. All right, you shall not make a false vow uh, or, or make a false promise. All right, and then the phrase shall perform what you have sworn in the Greek, literally means to enclose with a fence or bind together. And the idea here is keep your word. You got to keep your word. And so this is what the Jewish rabbis taught. And also in, verse, uh, in these three verses, we see that oaths were sworn to the Lord. They were sworn to God himself. Now here was the problem. As, a, as, a, as I said, the Jews had, a, had trouble telling the truth. Therefore... They didn't want to swear to God. They didn't want to swear an oath to God because they knew that if they swore an oath to God, God could judge them. And they were very savvy. They, they, got, they had this thing wired. They had this thing figured out. And so they developed the habit of swearing to anything but God because they didn't want God to judge them. They didn't want to be accountable to God. They didn't want to get ang God angry at them for swearing to him, and then they didn't follow through with it. Okay, let me read on in Matthew 5, 34, uh, starting in verse 34. Jesus said, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. We can stop right there. So Jesus said, first of all, he said, do not take an oath at all. When he, when he said, do not take an oath at all, he didn't mean, all right, don't make any oaths whatsoever. And just FYI, there's nothing in the scripture that prohibits us from making oaths, all right? There's nothing here that tells us we can't make oaths. The Bible tells us that Abraham made an oath. Jacob made an oath. David made an oath. Apostle Paul made an oath. Even the Lord swore an oath, right? When Jesus said, do not take an oath at all, what he meant was don't swear an oath by anyone other than God. Because if you look at verse 34 and through 36, it says, don't swear an oath by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem, or by your head. Uh, again, you got to give the Jews credit. They understood the gravity of swearing an oath to God, or by God, and, and, and they didn't want to be held accountable. Therefore, they would swear an oath by heaven, or they would swear an oath by Jerusalem, or they would swear an oath by their head, or by the earth. And that way, they felt like they get out of being judged by God. So they developed this habit, swearing by anything except God. And... Um, it didn't matter, again, it didn't matter that they swore as long as they didn't swear by God. Um, 
Theologian James Montgomery Boyce referred to this practice as evasive swearing. Evasive swearing. And, but Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. I mean, he, he, knew they were, he knew they were playing games. And so he called them out. In his commentary on Matthew, William Hendrickson wrote, what we have here in Matthew 5, 33 through 37 is the condemnation of the flippant, profane, uncalled for, and often hypocritical oath used in order to make an impression or to spice daily conversation over against that evil. Jesus commends simple truthfulness in thought, word, and deed. All right, so, which leads us to the final verse in this section, verse 37, which says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil. In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. Let your yes be yes and your no's be no. In other words, truth matters. So just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Be a man or a woman of your word. Be the kind of person who has such impeccable integrity that when you say something, you don't have to swear that what you said was true. Uh, cross my heart, hope to die. It's like a needle in my eye. No, just be so honest that when you say something, people are going to believe it because that's the kind of man or woman or young person that you are, right? So here are a couple takeaway lessons from uh, this particular section. Number one, you can write these down. Oaths are serious matter, right? They are serious matter. Don't be too hasty to swear an oath if you do so at all, all right? Do it sparingly if you do it. And don't make ridiculous oaths like I will stick a needle in my eye or I will slit my throat and cut out my heart. Don't be saying those kinds of things. Second, if you make an oath, make it to the Lord, right? Swear by no other name than by God's. And third, if you make an oath, keep it. You must keep it. And God will hold us to it. That's why you don't want to swear some ridiculous oath like I'm going to stick a needle in my eye. Right? Numbers 32 again says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. All right? So you promise something to somebody, you keep it. If you say you're going to be there at a certain place and meet somebody, you do that. You follow through on your word. All right? So that's it. We're done with chapter 5. All right? On to chapter 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Freemasons trafficked in secrets. I mean, they had secret, all kinds of secrets. They had secret handshakes. They had secret initiation rites. They had secret words. They even had a secret name for God. Did you know that? They have a secret name for God. But it's not a secret anymore because I'm going to tell you what it is. All right? Their secret name for God is Jabulan. Jabulan. All right? It's derived from three words, jabulon. First comes from jah, which, uh, comes, which is uh, short for Jehovah, which is the name of the Hebrew God. I'm going to put these up here for you. Jah or yah comes short for Jehovah. The bu, jabulon, bu is short for Baal, who was the Phoenician fertility god. And we've, you know, there's a lot of mention of Baal in the scriptures. And then the on is short for Osiris, who was the Egyptian god of the dead, who I mentioned earlier, all right? So Jabulon is the secret name for God, their secret name for God, and it's derived from these three uh, gods, Jehovah, Baal, and Osiris, all right? This is the Mason's name for God. Jabulon is their trinity. 
one-third the God of the Hebrews, one-third the God of the Phoenicians, one-third the God of the Egyptians. And of course, we know that Jabulon was not Almighty God. Jabulon is demonic. It is demonic. When we come to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks about a secret practice that was only for Christians, all right? Only for Christ followers. This is part of the Christian faith, all right? Before I show you what the secret is, let me give you some background. You might recall that I told you in one of my earlier messages that one of the groups that dogged Jesus throughout his ministry was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a collection, was a collection of self-righteous Jews. I mentioned this last week or a couple weeks ago, who prided themselves. They prided themselves on the great job that they were doing, obeying all of the 613 Mosaic laws. They were like, look at me. You know, and, they were, and so they were very rigid, and they were very legalistic, and they were holier than thou because look at us. We're, we're keeping all these laws, and therefore we're righteous, and, and we're, we're right before God. And what about you? And that was kind of who they, who they were. And so their spirituality, had nothing, to do, had nothing to do with their heart. It had everything to do with their externals. It was all, for them, it was all about optics. It was all about show. Look at what I'm doing here. Uh, when Jesus showed up um, on his, under the scene he, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, he called them out. He called them out. When we come to Matthew 6, he refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites. He said they're hypocrites. And he calls them out and calls them hypocrites actually throughout Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. We're going to look at some of those later on in this series as well. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 1. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Can stop right there, right? So the first thing that Jesus said here in chapter 6 was, stop acting like a bunch of hypocrites. Now that's my paraphrase, but that's what he basically said. Stop acting like a bunch of hypocrites. Circle the word hypocrites, all right? Everyone knows what a hypocrite is, right? A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. The Greek word for hypocrite, this is very interesting, hypocrites, hypocrites, it means actor, right? It means actor. Now, that's not to say that all actors are hypocrites, right? We got, I know we have some actors in our church, and that's great. I mean, that's a great, if you can make it in, as, a, as an actor, that's a, that's a great thing. I commend that, right? But, but an act, a hypocrite was an actor. In other words, it was someone who performs under a mask, and hypocrites were called, were, uh, the definition is an actor is because they would put on an act. It's basically what they would do. They would be something that they're not. They would put on an act. And God hates hypocrisy. He hates hypocrites. A few months ago, I had a conversation with somebody, an older gentleman in our church who, who comes to our church here every weekend. In fact, I think I saw him here this morning already. And he's been attending our church for some time. And I, I asked him, about a month and a half ago, I asked him if he was a Christ follower. Because I, I wasn't sure. And I, I asked him if he was a Christ follower. And he said, no, I'm not. Even though he, he loves our church, he's here every single weekend. I asked him, why not? I said, why aren't you a Christian yet? And his answer floored me. He said, I'm having a hard time becoming a Christian because of the hypocrites. And when he said that to me, my heart just sunk. And then he said, because he said, I see people and I know people who say they're Christians, 
but they don't act like it. And, and, and he said, they're just like everyone else. They cuss like everyone else. They drink like everyone else. They gossip like everyone else. They get angry and explosive like everyone else. And they make me wonder why I would want to become a Christian. And, when he, and he told me that right in the lobby, right here. When he told me that, I wanted to cry. No wonder Pastor David Platt said in a message I heard recently, he said, he said, if you're a Christ follower, but you don't act like it, he said, do Jesus and his church a favor and don't tell him when you're a Christian. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? If you say you're a Christian, but don't act like it, then do us all a favor and don't tell anyone you're a Christian because you drag the name of Jesus through the mud. See, God hates hypocrisy. He hates it. Take a look at Titus 1.16. Paul said, they profess to know God. I mean, they say they're Christians, but they deny him by their works, but they don't act like it. And they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Oh, what a stinging rebuke. In Matthew 23.15, Jesus said this, he said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. You go on mission trips. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. Jesus referred to hypocrites as children of hell. Doesn't get any worse than that. Doesn't get any worse than that. Don't be a hypocrite. Now, no one's perfect. I get that. I'm not perfect, right? None of us is perfect. Dave Platt said we're all dreadful sinners. Even after we come to know Christ, we're still dreadful sinners. But if you are a genuine Christ follower, there must be an outward manifestation of the inward work of the Holy Spirit in us. There must be some kind of a change. There must be difference in us. You can't just say you're a Christ follower and not live like it. And I'm talking about those who just willfully go out and do whatever it is that they do that's contrary to everything that Christ teaches. And again, if you don't live like it, then maybe, maybe it's possible, maybe you're not truly, you're not an authentic Christ follower. That could be it. So do a gut check. Do a gut check. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And what's the test? That you act like it, right? That you act like it. So examine yourself, right? If you're a hypocrite, and, and, and I think that we, we all are in some way, shape, or form, right? We all fail, right? But then ask God to forgive you. If you don't live like it, then ask God to forgive you. And then repent and turn around. And don't do it anymore. And then I want to say this too. If there's someone in, it's very possible, and I, it's very possible, if there's, if there's someone in your circle of, of influence who claims to be a Christ follower, maybe it's somebody in your small group, maybe it's somebody in your family, it's maybe one of your friends, claims to be a Christ follower, but clearly they don't live like it, then gently and lovingly call them out. If you love them and care about them, then call them out. And point that out to them and help them. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And if you do that, if you do that, if you can help a so-called brother or sister begin to act like it, 
then it doesn't get any better than that. James 5, 19 and 20, James wrote, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover the multitude, a multitude of sins. You will save his soul from death if you can just kind of gently nudge him and say, you know what, I, man, I, I smell alcohol in your breath. Man, I mean, I, I smell pot in your hair. I mean, whatever it is, in a gentle way, if we can bring somebody back, man, you're, every time I see you, you're, you're always using the F-bomb. Right? If you can gently bring them back, you will have saved their soul from death. So if there's someone in your sphere of influence, then gently nudge them to the truth. And finally, on, on, on this final note, if, if, if you can identify with that man who is unable to come to Christ, come to faith because of hypocrites, that's you. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. We are all dreadful sinners. Even after we come to Christ, we, are still, we still fall short of the glory of God. And I would implore you to set your eyes not on, not on us, but on him. Set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus and the cross and consider what he did for you. The perfect son of God. Jesus was perfect. He wasn't a hypocrite. He was perfect, and he took your sins and my sins. He took it upon himself, and he was crucified on that cross. He took the punishment for your wrongdoings and my wrongdoings so that we could have eternal life. I beg you to look at him and not at us and give your life to him. In this passage, the reason Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites was because when they gave to the needy, and when they gave to the needy, they sounded the trumpet. And I don't know if this was a little trumpet. They sounded the trumpet to get everyone's attention as if to say, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look at how much money I gave to these people. That's what they did, and that's why he called them hypocrites. Now, giving to the needy is a good thing. It's actually commanded in the Mosaic Law, Deuteronomy 15, 10, and 11. I'll just read the last line for you. It says, you shall, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. God gave them a command to care for the needy and the poor. But from the Pharisees' perspective, this was just one more law they had to obey. Oh, we got to give, we got to give, because it was commanded. And, look, and then when they gave, they wanted to make a big, big deal of it. They wanted everybody to know that they gave, because they wanted everybody to know that they were keeping the law. And again, for them, it was all about optics. It was all about show, showing how righteous they were. Now, here's the big secret in Christianity, okay? Here's the big secret. Verse 3 and 4. Jesus said, But when you give to the needy, do not, let your left hand, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the secret. Jesus told his followers that when they gave to the needy, do it in secret. Keep it hush, hush. Shh, 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 shh. Don't tell anyone. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the United States government classifies secrets according to three levels. The first level is confidentiality. The second level is referred to as secrets. And the third level, the highest level, would be top secret. All right, and some of you work for the government, you know what I'm talking about. Or, a few months ago, I had a conversation with someone who attends our church from time to time, young man, he's a young man, works for a large engineering and defense company here in, in the South Bay, and he works at an undisclosed location. His work takes place at an undisclosed 
undisclosed location, and he has top secret clearance. Not confidentiality, not secret, but he has top secret clearance. And Regina and Paul probably know what I'm talking about, right? And the reason I know this is because, he didn't tell me this, because I asked him what he did. I said, can you tell me what you do? He says, I can't tell you because it's secret. I said, I'm a pastor. Your secret is safe with me. (laughs) He said, if I tell you, I could be arrested and charged under the Espionage Act of 1917, and you could be in big trouble too. I said, I don't want to know. You don't have to tell me. (laughs) Jesus said, our giving to the needy should be a secret. And, and, and to show you just how secretive it ought to be, he said it ought to be so secretive that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, if you think about it, it's kind of a strange statement, right? Because your left hand always knows what your right hand is doing. There is never a situation when your left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing or the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. That's why it's kind of a strange statement. Nevertheless, he said it, and I believe the, the reason he said it, he was speaking here to the level of secrecy that ought to accompany our giving. And that is, it ought to be top secret. It ought to be so secretive that literally your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. That's kind of the idea here. Right? And obviously, it's going to know, but you know, he's speaking figuratively here. So here's why giving in secret is so important. All right? uh, it's not about us. Right? And you can write that one on. Giving is not about me. When you give to someone who's in need, it's not about you. Uh, it's, and, and when you give in secret, there's no way it can be about you because they can't even give you a thank you note. They can't put your name on a plaque. They can't name a building, name a building after you. When you give in secret, the only person, the only person who can get credit is God. Because he's the only one who knows. And so that's why giving in secret is so important. Because it's not about us, it's about God. And then remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. Remember what he said in Matthew 5.16? We covered this a couple weeks ago. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and give you credit. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, right? Let... Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and give your Father in heaven credit. Give God the glory for what you did. Right? It's all about God. It's all about our, our giving should always be about God. And when you give in secret, because God knows, you'll be rewarded in secret. God knows. God, God knows when you help somebody out, and he will bless you for it. He, he takes note of that. No one may say thank you, but God knows, and God appreciates your heart. Now, I get that from a practical standpoint, it's not always possible to give in secret. I get that, um, that sometimes you've got to let some people in on it. For example, just recently, a, a wonderful couple in our church, they were here last night, handed me a very substantial check for somebody in our church who was in need. They said, can you make sure this person gets receives this gift, but we want, it to, we want it to be anonymous. We want to remain anonymous. We don't want this person to know who we are because we want it to be all about God and not about ourselves. And so we made that happen. Again, I, I think that's a fine situation. I, I know of other situations that's occurred with our life groups 
You know, our life groups, our wonderful life groups, you know, I heard of some, many of our life groups will take up a collection for somebody in their group who's having a hard time. They'll take up a collection and they'll, then they'll give that gift to that member of the life group. And, and, and it's not anonymous. They'll say, hey, we want to give you something because we're, you're struggling with this or that. And, and, and I think that's totally fine. Because it's, again, as long as it's, your heart is right, right? It's all about your heart. I love what theologian John Stott said about this. He said, quote, the question is not so much what the hand is doing, that is giving somebody money, but what the heart is thinking while the hand is giving, right? And it's, it's all about the heart. And that's why he said, when you, if your heart's not right, man, it's, you do it in secret. Not only is it good to do a gut check, but it's good to do a heart check as well, right? So here's your final point. Giving is about my heart. Giving is about my heart. So let me close with a a few questions for you to ponder, right? First, if you're a Christ follower, do you make make every effort to live like it? If you you say you're a Christian, do you make every effort to live like it? I'm not saying are you perfect because no one's perfect, right? But do you make every effort to live like it? Or or once you leave this place, man, it's kind of like it's party time, right? And you live wild. Does your walk match your talk? Or do you say one thing and do another? Again, if you're a hypocrite, then get right with God today. Get right with him. Ask him to forgive you, and he will. And then repent. Don't ever do it again. And then whatever it is that you're doing, I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, stop and, and, and keep, just turn around. Second, is there someone in your sphere of influence that you can lovingly and gently speak to and, and a, about something that they're doing? that is inconsistent with the life of a Christian? If so, who is it? Pray on it. And then go to them because you love them. And point that out to them. And finally, if if someone's hypocrisy is keeping you from Christ, from enjoying the greatest relationship you could ever experience, don't let it. Having a relationship with God is the greatest thing you could ever experience. Don't let man keep you from that. Go to God. Look to Jesus. Have a relationship with him, and you will be blessed beyond words. All right? So those are the three things. Think, think about these things. Right? It's all about our hearts. All right? So let's close our time in prayer. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and and um, I want you to think on and pray on whatever it is that you need to say to God right now maybe maybe you're here and you, you say you're a Christian but you don't live like it and you can think of specific areas why, why don't you just confess that to him and, and my guess is we all have something we can confess him confess to him about ask him to forgive you ask him to, to fill you with so much of his power that you can't help but live the way he wants you to live somebody 
God's just putting on your heart to speak to them about that. I don't know how they'll react, but if you're loving and gentle, hopefully they'll respond. Ask God to give you the courage and say something to him or her. And finally, if you're here today and you just can't make that leap of faith because of hypocrisy, don't look to man. Look to Jesus. Turn to him right now and say to him, Lord, I know you are Lord. I know that you are the Son of God. I know you love me and you died on a cross for me. I give you my life. I'm not giving my life to man. I'm giving it to you. I surrender my life to you. Say that to him. And it'll be the best thing you've ever done. Oh, Father, so much here. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this, this teaching, his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. Father, may we be people who are honest, squeaky honest, so that when we say something, people will know that we're telling the truth. We don't have to swear an oath to prove it. Help us all to be very careful about oaths, the oaths that we do take. Help us to be alert to those things. God, help us to be alert to things in our own society. Here's something in our own backyard and we would have never thought that uh, they could be leading people astray. Father, help us to be help us to know your word in such a way that we would be, that we would know the truth so that when we see error, we can identify it quickly and immediately. God, help us to be people with a heart. Help us to be people who care and love others and those who are hurting. Not to bring glory and honor and attention to ourselves, but only to you, God. Only to you. So, Father, thank you. Thanks for your love for us. Thanks for your word. Seal these things to our heart. And we ask this in Jesus' name.